Between 2013 and 2016, the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers were one of the worst teams in the league. In 2014, they tied an NBA record with 24 consecutive losses. And two years later, they beat that record, losing 26 straight games. It was all part of a long-term strategy to improve the franchise by getting better draft picks, and it necessitated a short-term strategy of losing. Throughout, though, the 76ers CEO Scott O'Neill says his front office remained upbeat, and the business side of the 76ers, things like season ticket sales and sponsorships, they actually improved. O'Neill was recently named CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, or HBSE, a holding company that's comprised of several sports properties, including the Sixers, the New Jersey Devils, and Crystal Palace of the English Premier League. O'Neill's had a long career in sports management, including an earlier stint running the business side of the Knicks, the WNBA's Liberty, and the NHL's Rangers as the president of Madison Square Garden Sports. But as inherent as competition is to his work, O'Neill isn't a win-at-all-cost type, at least not anymore. And here, we talk about why that's been key to his success. Scott, when you're leading an organization like a sports team, are there ebbs and flows like there are in the locker room? I mean, and by that, I mean, like, does the mood swing in the building with wins and losses? Can you feel that in the office? The mood swing in my house. You can feel that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you a good story. I, I, I was, went home one, one day. I was, this was early on in my career. I was with the Knicks and Rangers. I'd go home, and I was kind of grouchy after a loss. And my wife kind of grabbed me. She's like, what's the deal with you tonight? And I said, what's the deal? We lost by 20 points. <laughs> she, she said, I thought you were in rebuild mode. When I was there, we were in rebuild mode in the, in the Knicks and Rangers. So I have a little bit of experience with that. And she said, how many games do you think you're going to lose this year? I said, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. She's like, well, you're going to be good. I said, no, we're not, we don't intend on competing on, on either team. Um, she said, what about the Liberty? I'm like, yeah, we should be okay in the Liberty. She said, about 100? I said, yeah, I'm going to lose about 100 games. She said, so is your plan to be mad 100 nights a year? <laughs> Which was a really interesting insight. So the office does go up and down with wins and losses in terms of, of emotion because most of us are feisty and competitive and want to win. I give myself the ride home. And so um, and, and everybody has their own ways to cope. But by the time I pull into my driveway, I'm, I'm happy and ready to go. What we've done differently in this office, um, because we've had some pretty historic losings. I'm, I'm, when I say office, I'm sitting in Camden, New Jersey, in our brand new uh, world-class and incredible training complex, which is literally the best training complex in the world, which we just opened last year. So speaking specifically of Philadelphia, you know, we decided to create an environment that was going to be fun, uplifting, and an incredible place to work, despite the historic losing we were about to embark on. Hmm. And that's what we created. I mean, you, you couldn't tell. People, I had friends come in from all over the country from different sports organizations, and they, they would laugh. You know, they would say, why is everyone so happy here? Um, they said, you guys shouldn't be this happy. You're really bad on the court. <laughs> um, and it actually, you know, we, we typically in our business, the results are are pretty directly correlated to the success on the court. And in our case, they're in inversely correlated. I mean, our team continued to lose and our business continued to get dramatically better, both in our season ticket base, which went from about 3,600 when we arrived, to up to north of 14,000 right now. And our sponsorship base is up about five times since we got here four short years ago. So, so you're talking about like a exponential increase in, in revenue and success. And that can only be attributed to the incredible culture that we have here and, of course, the talented people that work here. Yeah, talk about that. I mean, I find that really interesting, how you build and maintain a winning culture in the face of a losing record. First, it starts with 
kind of understanding who we want to be, identifying, recruiting, developing, and celebrating the best talent in the world, and then putting the pieces in place to make sure when that talent walks in the door, they want to stay here. Um, it's a really fun, fun group to work with. I mean, we're of our 500 some odd employees, I'd say 420 of them are under 32. So we've got a we've got a heavy millennial base, which is a pretty fun group. They they work hard, they're extremely ambitious, they demand access, and they want to be celebrated and they want to have some fun. Oh, and they want to give give back, you know. And so in this organization, we each pledged 76 hours of service into the community. So we served over 30,000 hours into the market, to the markets where we uh, where we say live, work, play, and win. And I think that understanding that we are a millennial. Um, group here, understanding that we need to operate differently, really celebrating the fact that, you know, it's up to us every day when we come into work to have fun. And so, and so there we had it. And so it's, it's been a pretty incredible ride. You know, we're, we're kind of littered with uh, best place to work awards, which we certainly celebrate and appreciate, but we're as equally celebrating a young 32 year old that goes and gets a big job outside of our company or one of our young women here has a baby, or one of our young couples here meet here and then get married. I mean, it's all stuff that we sell, or they lead the, lead the office in sales. And we celebrate just about everything here. Um, in terms of, of access, you know, you have our, our execs are as accessible as you can possibly imagine. And I think that's, it makes a real difference in the end. Scott, one of the things that you've written about, something you've been a champion for, and it's the need for mindfulness and balance in the workplace. I wonder, is that born out of like something that you've struggled with personally, this sort of tension between the drive to win and the need for perspective? I think everybody struggles with that. I mean, maybe I struggle with it more than than most. I, I, I can tell you, like, as I've gotten older, you know, I have three young girls that I'm raising with my wife. Um, 17, 14, and 11, Alexa, Kira, and Eliza. They certainly provide quite a bit of perspective, as does my wife. Um, you know, my faith is very important to me. That provides me kind of opportunity to reflect and listen and learn. And I've just gotten older, you know, and I've, I've seen the path. I've, I've run through the fire. Um, I've fought the battles. And so I, I certainly spend time every day meditating and thinking and reading and praying and planning much more than I did when I was younger. The organization is pretty hectic, and my lifestyle is, is relatively chaotic. I, I can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We talk quite a bit here, though, about mind, body, and soul, and how, you know, at different stages of, the, of your life, you're going to spend different amounts of time doing different things. And as a 22-year-old kid, I can tell you I never left the office and worked all the time. As a 47-year-old man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate that. To anybody um, and I have this general sense that the more you can find other things to do to read to to do outside of the office to coach your kids take on a service project to be involved in your church to volunteer with entrepreneurs I think the more creative you are and the more opportunity you'll have to bring that talent and creativity back to your office and make you more efficient and more effective I think like the days are going to be long gone when you're just sitting at your desk pounding and pounding and pounding away at the same thing and then go home and go to bed and get up and do it again. Or at least that's not a world I want to, I want to live in, and it's certainly not a world I would thrive in. So the organization has certainly taken the shape of, you know, yes, do we work hard? Yes. Do I work an unfathomable amount of hours? I absolutely do. Am I on call 24 hours a day? Yes. That's part of the job. 
But I can tell you that I, I find you. I, listen, I coach my daughters in basketball. I wouldn't give that up for anything. So on Thursdays, I roll. I roll out of here. I, I just leave. You know, and then if I have to come in on a Saturday night and work till midnight for a game, of course I do that. That's, that's part of the gig. But if my daughter has a school play and she's singing, I'm there watching her. Hopefully not singing along because that's not my strength. Nor is it my daughter's, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which daughter are you coaching, Scott? I coach my, my youngest, Eliza, and my middle, uh, Kira. Did it teach you how tough it is to be a coach to put you in those shoes? I tell you what, I had so many bad adventures, but I only had one where I was, you know, when I was when my oldest was five, my first coaching, I literally told the ref, I'm like, why don't you ref and let me coach? He stopped the game and almost threw me out of the gym, and that was it. I was cured after that. My wife, the stares from my wife, uh, almost went through my soul from the stage she was sitting. I'll never forget it. And so since then, I'm, I'm very intense on the sideline, all positive, all positive energy. So my goal is to get those girls I've coached, get the girls to love the game of basketball, and, um, and get them to have fun and come back the next year. You know, Scott, I want to talk about the, something that you mentioned earlier about mind, body, and soul, and how that's sort of like an organizational value for you guys. Can you talk specifics? How do you instill that? Does that mean retreats? Does that mean, you know, off-site meetings? What does that look like in real terms? I did move this call, I think, an hour earlier because we have a, a pre, pre-game hoop run over at our training complex. So unfortunately here, though, most of the uh, guys I'm playing with are 25 years old. But it's really fun. So we do a lot of that types of things. Each of our leaders here is empowered to create a culture that they think fits and maps to their teams. I just talking to one of our young execs who I happened to run into trick-or-treating who had his little eight-month-old daughter. And he was just talking about how he had taken his team for the first game of our Texas trip out to spin, which is a, a ping pong place, and how everybody was going crazy during the game and how uplifting it was. And, and that stuff's great. We have leadership and learning breakfast where we come in and the execs sit with um, more of the younger staff and we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. We have so much opportunity to develop staff. We have like book clubs here. We have it's it's really truly unbelievable. Do we have retreats? No, we call them go forwards. Because we say we don't retreat, which is kind of a good line. Mm. The content is ours. And so we typically pick 12 VP level type execs that seem to be on the star path. And then we run them through like an eight week, pretty intensive. Here's how you develop a world class presentation. And here's how you move your peers. And then, um, and they, then we do it all ourselves in house, which is pretty amazing to see the growth from the first day we start on our go forward prep to the to the time we deliver it. We have these incredible movie nights or movie days where we, we take people out of the office. We shut down the office about once a month and go have a service project. So we have a day of service coming up, I think in three weeks. And that's an opportunity to like, literally some of it's just like literally beautification, cleaning garbage. Other times we're mentoring kids. Other times we are um, going out and working with a boys and girls club and refurbing a court. I don't think there's one thing that creates the mind, body, and soul, but I can tell you that our executives live it. And I think our opportunity there, more than anything else, is that we, the leaders, we have to be what we say we want to be. You know, talk is cheap and talk is easy, but from our perspective, it's like we have to model the behavior we expect in this organization. So you've built this unique, thoughtful workplace culture, right? And your company now, HBSE, is in expansion mode. As your organization gets wider, so to speak, how do you ensure that that culture that you've built and cultivated can grow with the organization? Well, that's the hardest part. I think the good news is we have really candid dialogue about 
what the future might hold. And in very many cases, we, this organization, the talent, the people, the executives here are evolving as the organization grows because it looks very different today than it did four years ago. And some of those folks that were here four years ago are wonderful and talented and smart and diligent and committed, but they couldn't make the leap to an organization that looked and acted very differently two years later. And so I think most organizations in heavy growth mode will go through that. And that's about, quite frankly, us and how we talk to each other and how we work and what what our openness and willingness to change is. Unfortunately, like we don't have much of a choice. If we're going to grow, this organization is going to evolve. And that's either going to happen with the execs and talent that's here, or we're going to find a kind of a new group. And my vote and my preference and my inclination is that this group, given how talented and smart and hardworking they are, most of them will make the journey. Skydeck is produced by the External Relations Department at Harvard Business School and edited by Craig McDonald. It is available at iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. For more information or to find archived episodes, visit alumni.hbs.edu slash skydeck.